0: This is Game On, discussing the biggest games and all the latest sports news with Johnny Montebano and Hank and Dichter
1: on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Showtime, folks! It's episode fifty-five on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. I'm Johnny Montsbano That's Hank and Dick there. Hank, welcome. How you doing?
2: I'm doing pretty good, Johnny. How about yourself?
1: Uh, I'm doing well. I can't complain, Hank. As we start to wind down the month of May and head towards Memorial Day weekend and into June, the summer is right around the corner, and it's amazing how fast it comes every year. But I'm doing great. Um, looking for, I've been looking forward to this episode for a while. It's going to be a very, very good one. We've got a lot to discuss, and uh, we'll tell you all about it in just a second. But, of course, folks, just your friendly reminder, plenty of ways for you all to get aboard as well. So first and foremost, you can follow us on our social media Facebook and Twitter at GameOnETB. Instagram, on underscore Our personal handles are right there and there. And of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtubecom Network, Where, if you like today's episode, leave us a like. If you're new, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And of course, and of course, have your notification set so you our programming is going to be coming out. And I say that because we've got a lot coming up. A little behind the scenes that I've been told, it's a lots in the works. So stay tuned for that. And you can also check out our website at etbpodcast.com for great, you know, blogging content from. Hank and from Jennifer Kate and so many more. And you can also catch us on your favorite podcast platform if you're on the go, or if you want to just hear the audio version on many of your favorite podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, all that good stuff. You can check us out there. So, Hank, like I said, we've got a lot to get to over the course of the show. Almost a little bit of everything uh is on is in the works here. As we're gonna get to the Stanley Cup playoffs, which have just been, you know, the conference finals happening right now. Historic. A historic start to the conference finals. What do I mean by that? We'll tell you about that in just a little bit. You know, we've got some NFL discussion too. Of course, you know, on a little bit of a sad note, we, have, we will honor and remember Jim Brown, who passed away this past week. We've also got, uh, it looks like Super Bowl 60 all said to go to San Francisco. So a very interesting uh, rule or an interesting, um, I say, flexing of Thursday Night Football, which looks to be official. We're going to get to that. Uh, And if we also have some time down the road, we're going to get into some horse racing and some golf. So a lot to get to. But first and foremost, we've got to tip things off here with the NBA playoffs and the NBA in general. And we've got a lot to discuss with the NBA. So we thought let's switch things up a little bit and also introduce the newest member of the Empty the Best Bench podcast network. Uh, He's going to be uh, starting a show. You've probably heard the show before. We've had him on in the past. But now it is coming to the Empty the Best Bench Podcast Network, the host of the Three D. Let's welcome back to Game On, Paul Lombardi. Paul, welcome. How you doing? I'm doing great, guys. How are you doing? Uh, we're doing great. First and foremost, we want to congratulate you. Uh, you can see right there, he's he's. we've had him on before, host of the 3ND, which is a fantastic show, and I'm very excited to have it here. It is going to start up next Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern, and we will get to that and talk about that show in just a few minutes. But, Paul, you know... NBA playoffs—they have been unpredictable. You know, this is so different. And you know, we were talking about this before we came on the air. This year has been different than years past. Usually, you know, the top seeds are the ones that get very, very far. The the best teams because they have the best talent. But still, here in the as of now in the conference finals, you've got a seven seed out west and an eight seed out east. I guess let's start out west now. Just to let everybody know, the Lakers and Nuggets series could be over with this airs. But nevertheless, when you look at this Western Conference uh, series here first, uh, is this really a case more of the Lakers just falling apart or the Nuggets, are they really that good?
0: I think, honestly, I think it's a mixture of both. I think that the Nuggets have always been very close and the Jamal Murray injury has kind of sidelined them for the past couple of seasons. They finally got him back. Michael Porter Jr. was finally able to put in a full – A healthy season, and then Nikola Jokic obviously averaging a triple double, just casually dropping ten assists as a seven footer, like like no one else can. I mean, they they're built for this kind of situation, and I and I'm just glad that they honestly are pushing far. You know, obviously over the last few years they've gotten out early in the playoffs and haven't really advanced too far. But I I I think that they're that they're all in, and I think it's a mixture of both too, because I think that the Lakers are somewhat choking it, but in a way like, you know, you saw, you saw their team before the trade deadline. They definitely improved a little bit. getting bringing in D'Angelo Russell, uh, bringing in Jared Vanderbilt and a few pieces. Um, but the entire team is, that's not an NBA championship team and LeBron, the offense doesn't run through LeBron anymore. I think that's been pretty evident in these first three games. The offense kind of runs through Anthony Davis and Austin Reeves is, is what it mainly looks like. Um, you know LeBron's definitely in the back end of uh you know his illustrious career and I think it's the first time that we're kind of seeing him hit a decline and and Anthony Davis too with his health I I think that I think the Nuggets are just a better team in my in my opinion and I think that they're finally proving it.
2: Yeah, I tend to agree. I think uh Jokic is really having his moment to step up and shine for the first time especially now that He's got a loaded team around him, and yeah, I think, Paul, you pretty much said it best. LeBron, even though you still see those moments where he'll put up vintage playoff LeBron performances, this definitely is a LeBron that we're seeing on the decline, and I think if you kind of have to rely on other guys as the stars for the Lakers, that's kind of a sign that they're on the decline, but You also have to give them credit where credit is due for being able to get further than a lot of people thought before the playoffs happened. However, with that being said, I think this very well might be Jokic's time to shine. And look, could he go on and win that title? And that Denver has never seen before in the NBA. I don't know, but they are on the verge of making history because the Denver Nuggets have never reached an NBA finals before. In fact, do you guys even know the last time the Nuggets made it to a conference finals? Carmelo Anthony,
0: back bingo, in, back in two thousand eight, I want to say. Oh, nine. 2009. gotcha. Yeah, yep, that they, was when
2: they got boat raced by the Lakers.
0: Yep. and and that was like Car- Carmelo's best moments too. That was like that was the prime of his career right before he came over to the Knicks. Obviously, Carmelo uh, announced his retirement today too. So. It's good to good to mix him into uh into the talk a little bit, especially with how much of a Nuggets legend he is. But I completely agree. I think that you know, in some ways, it was successful for the Lakers, though. You know, being a playing team, they're the first playing team. Um, them and the the uh, Miami Heat are the first playing teams to actually win a playoff series. Uh, ever since they in they, in, in, in wait brought the rule in. Um, That's there great. wasn't there hasn't been a team to win a playoff series, and now obviously you guys I mean the Lakers probably aren't going to make the finals but you got the we got the Miami Heat or you know on the verge of making it I think I think that that's definitely true it, there's it, it can be argued both ways for sure
1: Yeah uh, you know when I look at this when I looked at the Lakers and Nuggets series I said on the show last week that as much as we talk about LeBron and Jokic and there's no question no doubt about it to me the secondary players and what I mean by that is the Lakers Anthony Davis was probably the most inconsistent star that there is in the league this year. And we've seen that again in this postseason. Uh, he was going to be very important. And also on the Nuggets side, who's going to be that other person? Because Jamal Murray right now looks like he's like the Jamal Murray of the, the Bubble series back in 2020. Which one of those, where are you going to get your secondary scoring from? And we've definitely seen that the Nuggets are getting from that. I mean, we saw Jokic not really even have his best game in game three, his best moments in game three. And yet they still found they still found a way to win that game pretty decisively. So as much as we talk about the stars getting you this far along, you know, your secondary players and your bench players, and really your depth is just as important.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's, and it's the depth that's a hundred percent is, you know, help the nuggets coming along because, you know, you've seen in uh, seasons past, you know um, I mean, Jamal Murray's injuries and Michael Porter jr's injuries and a lot of serious Jokic would be the only one that shows up. Um, And now they have a much better all around team. Bruce Brown is a good glue guy. Um, you got Contavious Caldwell Pope too, who's playing as his old team. Um, and Aaron Gordon too is kind of like a glossed over solid player as well. They're getting good production out of all of them, and I think that that's like the biggest, the biggest takeaway um, that has shown like their dominance so far is that Jokic has been great, but he doesn't have to be ninety percent of the team. You know, he's they've, He's got some good players around him that are starting to develop into like solid solid NBA players.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hank, what were you saying? I'm sorry. No, yeah.
2: I think that's definitely a really good point. And yeah, Caldwell Pope's been another guy that's kind of been under the radar. Bruce Brown, I'm glad you brought that guy up. I mean, he has been averaging in the playoffs. Let me see here. Well, This year, he has been averaging like 11.5 points and uh, 3.4 assists. Pretty solid numbers right there. Definitely a a solid uh, role player for the Nuggets, so to speak. And um, Michael Porter Jr., another solid player on that squad. And um, I think definitely when it comes down to it, I think you can't really look at the Lakers as chokers, so to speak. However... If you want about it, you want to talk about a choking team, I would say look at the team that's losing three nothing on the other side in the Eastern Conference Finals. But uh Johnny, I'm sure we will discuss that team very, very soon. And boy, do I have a lot of words to say about the coach of the Celtics, Joe Missoula because I I don't know if you guys saw his press conference, but if you're a Celtics fan and you watch that, I would be livid if I were you.
0: Yeah, it's it's crazy because you know he he definitely wasn't ready to become a head coach right away. Um, I think he was Udoka's top guy, and he kind of moved up the ranks really quickly. I mean, he's a young dude. Like the um, just the reports just came out um today to put everything in perspective. Um, when Jimmy Butler was at Marquette, they uh, defeated West Virginia in the playoffs, and Joe Missoula was the starter for West Virginia at that time. So it really goes to show like how young he is. And obviously, you know, he's playing up against Jimmy Butler a guy who like he played against is now coaching against. Um, and he didn't really, and he didn't have any NBA experience either Missoula. So he kind of became a coach right after college. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation for sure.
2: That said, I also think as dominant or as, as horrible as the Celtics have played in this series, you also have to give credit to the Miami heat where credit is due. And look, I stayed with family friends while I was in Boston over the past, uh, I want to say what week and a half. And they were telling me that they were not looking forward to playing the Miami heat. And a good reason for that would have to be the one, the only Jimmy buckets. And. Oh my gosh. Like, look at a lot of the, the point production that he's been getting, I would say he definitely may very well be the next number that gets retired by the Miami Heat when it's all said and done. I mean, he's he's carrying them just like he's done in years past too. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, so, so, so switching over to that Heat-Celtic series, and we're talking with Paul, Paul Lombardi, host of the three, which is going to start up on Monday, May 29th here on the Empty the Bench podcast network. Paul this uh this heat Celtics series I got to tell you you know when Hank and I were previewing it last week on the show the the key to, for me was would they be able to stop Jason Tatum and if they were able to do that then on the Celtics how do you should deal with see it wasn't like it was a one star or a no star situation like you had with you know the Knicks or the Bucks with you know Giannis the Knicks didn't really have a star it's as painful as a, as a Knicks fan to say that that's just the reality of it but When you look at the Celtics, I mean, if you don't, if Tatum doesn't have a good game, you've got Smart, you've got Brown, but what they've been able to do to shut out Jason Tatum has been absolutely amazing. And you know what? Then also good. You have to give a ton of credit to Eric Spolster. You know, we're talking about coaching, and Eric Spolster, what he's been able to do down there in Miami. To me, Paul, I said it on the show, and I've been saying this constantly. Miami's an eight seed is an eight seed and number only. This team is a real dangerous team, and. I was fearful to play them as a Knicks fan and they're showing it again here. I mean again, like I said in the Lakers Nuggets series, is this a combination of is this more Miami or more on Boston side or is this just a combination of both?
0: It and that's exactly it. You know, it's this is a team that was in the NBA Finals just three years ago, was the one seed in the East last season, uh during the playoffs, and now kind of came in as a seven and lost their first um their first playing game and they were on the brink of not even making it at all. Uh they kind of underperformed in a lot of ways this season. Kyle Lowry was hurt for a while, Jimmy Butler was hurt for a bit. So they had an up and down, you know, not a, a very impressive record, but you knew, you know, they're fully healthy and that team is scary for sure. And a lot of it goes down to Spoelstra without a doubt because mm-hmm. you look at some of the guys that he that he turns into players. You got Gabe Vincent who was a nobody from UC Santa Barbara. You got Max Struess who was a very good college player. He played in the Big East, so I, I used to watch him a lot DePaul. Um, great three-point shooter, but he's turning into a great all-around player, too. Duncan Robinson was playing D3 and then ended up uh, switching to Michigan, and, and they turned him into a player, even though he hasn't really you know done a whole lot since then. It's just their coaching is fantastic. Their leadership is fantastic, too. Jimmy Butler is arguably the best leader in the NBA, I think like as far as star players go, he he's in any conversation. I mean, like the guys of stud every, everybody on the team rides with him. He rides with them um, at a bio too. Um, and even without Tyler hero too, they've been able to do all of this, which is just wait. When you watched how they played against the Knicks, it, it honestly does not surprise me that how, how they're, they're handling the Celtics.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. And, yeah, I to piggyback on, on what you said. I Johnny, do you remember what I said to you before the series, what the big difference could be between uh the Celtics and the Heat and winning and losing? I said head coaching could be the difference, and I think we've really seen over the years how great of a coach Eric Spolster is for sure.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Well when you So let's just say that it I mean it's trending towards That it's going to be a Nugget Heat final, which of course you know. If you listened to me last week, I said it was going to be the total opposite. So of course, but let's say it looks it's going to be a Nugget Heat final because it looks like it's going to be the case. What do you think about that as a possible finals matchup?
0: I think it's fantastic. I honestly think it's awesome. I think that that's that's a series that can go either way too. That's like that we have a a potential of seeing a game seven in the NBA finals, which is nothing better than that. I Mm. I like it's. That's exactly what I wanted, you know. Like in the first round, I wanted to see the Nuggets, and I I wanted to see Nuggets first Knicks originally. But then when the Knicks were out, obviously, I swapped in the Heat because I, you know, can't root for the Celtics. But Nuggets, uh, but Nuggets first Heat finals. I mean, that's like that's amazing, and it also shows the disparity that's in the NBA nowadays too, which I love. You know, we're we're past the era of. Every single year, it's Cas versus Warriors, or the Warriors are always in it, or the Lakers are always in it, or the Spurs are always in it. Like we're past that to the point where there's a lot of good teams, and the playoffs are a real dogfight to make it to the end. And you have a kind of, kind of a different finals every single year. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's great. I'm I'm so excited. I, I honestly, if honestly, no matter who wins that series, I'd be I'd be content with. Uh, with seeing either
2: of them win. Honestly, just the fact that the Celtics are going to probably get knocked out is what makes me happy. I mean, look. That's the sweet part
0: about
2: it. Yeah, you guys know what I like to say. Friends don't let friends root for the Celtics. Well, friends also don't let friends root for either the Flyers or the Eagles, but that's a story for another day. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, no, I definitely agree. I remember getting absolutely bored watching the NBA back when we were in college fall because I'm like, I'm like, these games are so meaningless. You know, it's going to be Cavaliers versus Warriors. But yet now you have teams doing well in the regular season. Now you're starting to see that the regular season in the NBA really doesn't mean that much. And it's starting to remind me. And I feel like I'm piggybacking off of Johnny when I say this, like the NHL playoffs in that sense. But in any event, really what it's come down to really is that it's the survival of the fittest and yeah I'm really looking forward to seeing a series between Jokic and Butler and Paul you know I'm a big fan of like your pyramid system for the NBA in fact I'm not I don't mean to sound biased when I say that but you know I tend to view, view yours more favor favorably than a certain former ESPN employee who's like Kind of a Celtics homer who has initials that I can't exactly repeat, but um, where do you think? I have a feeling you're going to upgrade either Butler or Jokic into your uh, pyramid, regard regardless of how that series goes. No, and where do you have those guys? By the way, I don't know if you've since upgraded that piece since last we uh, spoke about that. Which, by the way, I it's been. that was like two or three years ago when you had me on that episode and I gave you like my top 10 all time list. That was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. We, we put together a top 10 list for a little bit of context for, um, for anyone out there back during COVID, you know, when everybody Mm -hmm. had so much time on our hands, I made my top 50 NBA players of all time. Um, Kind of put it together, put together a big blog post for it. And, um, you know, me and Hank always go back and forth about, you know, where each player is ranked. They, and that obviously was back in 2020, so that was three years ago. So there's – I didn't even have Giannis on it. Giannis is definitely on it now. Um, Steph is further up on it. KD is probably a little further up on it. Jimmy Butler's arguably in it. Um, I think Nikola Jokic definitely should be in it. I mean, two-time mm-hmm. MVP at this point. And if he wins a championship, he probably leaps into, like, the top 40, in my opinion. And, Jan- and Giannis, after winning that championship, too, and he's got the two MVPs – I, he's probably somewhere in like the the 20s or 30s. Um, I mean, everybody's got different criteria for the top 50, but I think that if if Jokic, the guy who can jump the most by winning a title, would probably be Jokic because of the two MVPs. Jimmy Butler. I think if Jimmy Butler wins the the NBA Finals he more is establishing a Hall of Fame career rather than, like, a top 50 career. Like, he's still a little bit of a ways to go since he doesn't have an MVP, but he's, I mean, he's an amazing player. And I th- even if he doesn't win, win uh, the championship, win an NBA Finals, he probably ends up making it to the NBA Hall of Fame anyway.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I think those are all... Really good points, and uh, I, I know you and I, like, as basketball, I think you're more of the basketball historian than I am, but like, you and I both can go on for days. I mean, look, we already did during tw- during uh, COVID, I think during COVID, you and I talked like nonstop about basketball. You were probably one of many people that I just randomly went on and on because I was so bored, stuck in my house when I wasn't like playing whatever video games I had, <laughs> but. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I definitely agree with that. And that, that's the real reason that I really like the potential of the Nuggets Heat series. Because I'm always a big fan of those legacy storylines, you know, and to go yeah. off on a, at the risk of going off on a little tangent. That's why I really was fascinated by the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, because it pretty much enhanced a lot of legacies. And again, I'm not saying that just to kiss your you know what, because you've got those Chiefs posters in the background. I'm like, of you know how I am with that stuff.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. It's like they, even if it's not your team, though, if it's a player that's likable that you like, um, you know, it's nice to see them succeed and start and start see like these star players build up big resumes for the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. You know, I 100% agree with that. Like, I like I like Jokic and I like Jimmy Butler too. I would love to see either of them win a ring because I think that that would that would be awesome. I think it would it would further, more push them into the Hall of Fame as guarantees. Um, You know, it's just, it's exactly likable players you like to see build it up. Like I, you know, there's a lot of likable players that I never want to see win too. <laughs> so, and you know, I'll leave those nameless for, for the time being.
1: I think the only negative though, you know, all this, all this great talk about the potential of the finals, the only negative could be, we may be waiting over a week before the finals even starts because it's not till June 1st and they're, they're so strict. On that. Oh, by the way, just just to piggyback off that. Nah, see, I'm a Knicks fan. I'll be rooting for the Nuggets every day and twice on Sunday over the Miami Heat. I've always said the Miami Heat are Miami Heat are one of the biggest rivals in Knicks in for the Knicks, and this goes back years. That's why when people were telling me about the Brooklyn Nets, oh, the Nets are going to be the Knicks' biggest rival. That's 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 silly. It's 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 Miami. It's Boston. So that's what I would go at with that. So the finals, though, still possibly a little over a week away. But you know, Paul, one of the things we seen as as a result of the NBA playoffs this whole playoffs in general have been all the coaching firings we've had three coming off of eliminations you know Mike Boonholzer on the Bucks Monty Williams on the uh, Suns and Doc Rivers of the 76ers now we've been we heard a report from Woj on Monday about that the Bucks have been narrowing their coaching searches down to like the likes of like Nick Nurse and and others but you know when you look at all three of these guys I mean, what were your thoughts about when they got fired and where the Bucs, the Suns, and the 76ers go from here?
0: It, it's crazy. There, there was a bunch of firings. I did not see those coming. I did not think that, you know, one quick elimination that, that the Bucks would let Bud go. And I, Monty Williams was really building up that team with the Suns, too. He's been there the entire time. They've kind of taken that next step. Um, so it was interesting to see him go. And Nick Nurse, too, you know. Nurse and – Bunnholz are both NBA champion head coaches over the past, you know, nine, five, six years. So I thought, I thought they were, those were all interesting ones. The one that I didn't, that I didn't like, wasn't surprised about is the Doc Rivers one because the 76ers underperformed again. And it's, it's, this is becoming like a routine for Doc Rivers too. You know, if you throw, if you ignore the 2008 finals with the, the big three in the Celtics, He's he's done this a lot. He he has good teams, and he can get them to the second round of the playoffs. Sometimes even the conference finals, but not any anything further past that. Um, so I think it's it's going to be interesting. The one that I'm most interested at, I think Budenholzer is going to get another job. I don't know if it's going to be this year. Um, Monty Williams, I don't to be honest with you. I would be I wouldn't even be surprised if he kind of like leaves coaching for a few years because he's still owed 21 million. From um from the sons, he had all those issues like with his family and stuff like that when he lost his wife and stuff. So apparently, so I, I think he wants to stay close to his family and you know kind of like do a, do the family thing for the time being. And he's got plenty of money, so I could totally see um him stepping away. And Nick Nurse, I 100% can see getting another job. Um, like the Bucks can, might end up hiring him. I think it might take Doc Rivers a little while to get another job. I, I don't see anybody hiring him like right off the bat. Like I, I'm not too sure, but it, it I'd be surprised if if he gets a job this off season or next off season. You know, he might not, He might have to be an assistant.
1: Yeah, I'm just the Doc is going back into coaching. I I think Doc's going to go into broadcasting somewhere, whether that's uh, you know color commentating or maybe you know ESPN or NBA TV. The Mon- the Monty Williams one. I don't think actually was really that much of a surprise because what did the Suns have new ownership
0: and maybe they want their
1: own guys. So I think of his own guy. And there was also a report from Woj that said that Ishbia and Monty Williams didn't really get along. So that wasn't really that much of a surprise. Woj also reported on Monday that the bucks are narrowing their coaching search, possibly down to Nick nurse, Kenny Atkinson and Adrian Griffin as a as possibilities there in Milwaukee. And that should be fascinating too, because you know, Giannis, you know the rumors swirling about Giannis going to the Knicks or possibly leaving Milwaukee uh, down the road too as possibility. But just amazing that you've had three coaches fired off of the off of a playoff run. But yeah, the, where those three go going to be very very interesting.
0: Absolutely, I think the Kenny Atkinson one is a very interesting one to look at too. I, I feel like he does get a job. I mean, he got a job last last year when he took the Hornets job, and then like five days later he declined it and went back to being a, an assistant for Steve Kerr. So he he was a, and he was a very good coach. You know, the only reason why he left was because Kyrie ran him out of Brooklyn when uh, when the, him and Katie went there. But I think I think Kenny Atkinson is a is a guy to watch out for. I like that a lot. Um, Adrian Griffin's an up and coming guy. I mean, Nick Nurse, you know what you're going to get with Nick Nurse. I, I think Nick Nurse is a very solid head coach, and I I could see the Bucks deciding to hire him. I wouldn't be shocked about that.
2: Wouldn't it be kind of funny, though, if Nick Nurse somehow found his way there, especially after he beat Milwaukee to get to the finals? I, I can see a lot of, like, ch- trading places scenarios with a lot of these coaches. Like, imagine the Bucks hire Monty Williams or Phoenix ends up getting uh, Coach Bud. So, yeah. that would really be interesting. But, yeah, Doc, I... I wouldn't be surprised necessarily if he gets another coaching job, because if you look at what a lot of the players say about him, they love having him as a head coach, and a lot of them say he's a good leader, but yeah, I think as you guys alluded to, the problem is he's had a bad track record in Game 7s, and actually, if you really look at his tenure with the Celtics, you could argue that even there he underachieved, because I know he had that title in 2008, but they probably should have won at least one more title with that core. At at the very least in 2009, 2010, they probably, maybe we talk a little bit differently about Doc Rivers have, should the Celtics hold on to that lead. But then there was also a few years later where they had a tough loss to Miami. But in any event, yeah, I think with the track record of losing a game sevens and I don't really know, but, Coach Bud, um, Nick Nurse, those are guys who I can see getting be getting hired, like, probably tomorrow if possible. So, yeah, yeah, it, it really just goes to show you that an NBA coach, probably past or present, most of them seem to have, like, four years as their expiration date, no?
0: Yeah, a lot of times, yep, three or four years. Um, and if there isn't, you know, there are there are very few that make it, you know, to close to ten for sure. Um,
2: coach Pop, well, Coach Pop is not only like the exception; he made it to like he's been the coach pretty much our entire life you now
1: of the Spurs.
0: Literally, literally.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, the other the other thing, I guess, if you know, these are big names, but you know, you're you're a big college guy too. Is there anybody in the college ranks possibly that you see coming up?
0: Well, the one interesting one that I saw was Ed Cooley. Um, mm. It was he was Providence's head coach, and obviously just took the Georgetown job. Um, I saw his name linked. I thought I thought that it would be insane if, like, he you know all the hoopla and stuff, him taking the Georgetown job and leaving Providence and stuff, and he were to go to the NBA. Um, huh. But I think somebody like had some interest in him. Um, the as as far as as far as the others, I think Mike Woodson was. Um, had like some interest in him, but he's at his alma mater right now. And he's yeah, doing he's been, great. He's yeah. doing a great job recruiting. Like, I don't think he wants to, I think he's going to end his career um, at the college level. Um, but Ed Cooley was an interesting one uh, that's that, you know, I thought this was kind of, that it was kind of cool, kind of interesting situation. He could be an NBA coach one day. I would not be surprised.
1: Yeah. Cause you never know there'll be another opening or, or not. We're talking with Paul Lombardi, host of the three and D here on game on Paul, you know, you had brought his name up uh, earlier on in, their, in our conversation, but Carmelo Anthony announced his retirement on Monday. Uh, great career. I mean, you know, I remember him from his time with the Knicks. You know, that intro when he got traded to the Knicks, to one of the best intros in NBA history. Yes, I will go to that extreme and say that. I'm coming
2: uh, home. Yes, the, home. the coming
1: home to run this – from the transition from I'm coming home to run this town was absolutely incredible. Um, but, you know – Carmelo, I mean what a career, right? I mean there's not enough great things you can say about him. I mean it's a bummer he couldn't win a championship, but I mean not enough great things could be said about him too.
0: Absolutely. And he was a great Nick too. You know, as a as a diehard Knicks fan, um as well. He you know, we grew up he was like he was like the star of like my lifetime. Um, you know, I grew up when I was a little kid, I was a big Stephon Marbury fan. Um so so he was like my guy when I was like a little kid and then Carmelo, you know, he made the Knicks relevant again. Yeah, you know, we have fifteen years or so of really not doing much. Probably was able to bring them back to the playoffs, won a playoff series. Um they the only thing that stunk was uh, was the Pacers were a much better team with Paul George and Roy Hibbert and all those guys. And then you had the Heat with uh, their big three that you were never gonna be able to beat. Mm. It was next to impossible. So you knew that they were never gonna make it to an NBA Finals, no matter how good they they were during the season, but they were just a fun team to watch. Um, and obviously, you know, won a scoring title with the Knicks. I think he made six All Star teams with the Knicks. Um just an all around great player. And there's a lot definitely was a lot of talk um today about if his number should hang in the rafters at M S G. Um I think it's you know, MSG does not just give those out. You know, the only the only Nick who's up there that hasn't won a championship is Patrick Ewan. Um they and Patrick Ewing is by far a Hall of Famer, but yeah, I mean Carmelo Anthony's also gonna be a Hall of Famer, but technically Carmelo played longer for the Nuggets than the Knicks, too. So um but besides besides all of that, tremendous career, one of the best scorers that we've ever seen in our lifetime. Um, you know, he I loved him as a Nick too. A lot of a lot of Knicks fans hated him. A lot of Knicks fans, you know, had had mixed opinions on him. I loved him. You know, he was he was our guy. And the real part of the reason why I loved him was he was a star player that wanted to be on the Knicks and when being a Knicks fan it was so frustrating watching you know LeBron snub us and all those guys and we actually had a star player that wanted to be a Knicks and signed like ended up signing two contracts with us so I I always I always like Carmelo for that and he was always very um destined if he's going to win he wanted to win in New York too, which, which I thought was great.
2: And, I mean, look, you mentioned him wanting to come to New York. Look, love Melo or hate Melo? And, Paul, I think you know I wasn't really quite as big of a Carmelo fan as you were, but you and I will bo- can both agree on this. And, Johnny, I don't want to sound like I'm speaking for you, but I think you might okay. probably agree with me, too. But
1: right.
2: love him or hate him. He was really the only star. Well, actually, no, that's not true. I would say Amari Stademeyer, too. But other than Stademeyer, he was the only star that truly wanted to come to New York and take on the challenge of making the Knicks relevant. And look, do I I'm I have been on record saying that there have been moments where he hasn't always been the best team player and he's probably taken more shots. But with that having been said, I am also going to be fair and say the Knicks kind of screwed Carmelo in a set to a certain degree, although they also didn't really help themselves when they gave up practically a good chunk of the roster when they traded for him in uh, February of 2011. But yeah. having said that, though, Carmelo Anthony, 62 points at MSG. I remember that very well. What, what was that, 2014, I want to say? Yeah.
0: Tre- the yeah,
2: the girl, Bobcats.
0: 13. Or- yeah. The podcast, I think it was 13, yeah. yeah, it was during the 12 13 season that they were that he won the scoring title, they made they won a playoff series. It was that was like a dream that season,
1: yeah. That was the 54 win team back then. Yeah. I mean, and think about it. I mean, now they're finally back to the to the good to the good days. I mean, every we keep talking about that year up until this this past year with them.
2: I'm also but. gonna play a little devil's advocate and say this like, yeah, I do agree that he's had moments where, like, you know. You could maybe argue that he was responsible for the, the um, Linsanity being cut short with him getting D'Antoni fired and whatnot. But when you put him on a team with a lot of superstars, look at how much different he's been in the Olympics when compared to the NBA. And yeah. can I give you guys a fun fact? I believe Carmelo Anthony actually is the leading point scorer for the USA men's Olympic basketball team.
0: I'm pretty sure he, he's been, he played for four, he played four Olympic games. I think three gold medals too.
1: Yeah. 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 um I would push back a little bit on the Linsani thing, but uh, I'll and say that. Not to mention he easy.
2: also, what he did with Syracuse kind of should be mentioned too, right. since I believe that was the only champ, that was the only uh, championship team Syracuse ever had. And I'm I'm yep. kind of going to talk a little bit about a closer time that Syracuse came close to win a championship and Johnny, You might have an idea what I'm talking about, but that'll be more for when we talk about a certain NFL legends passing.
1: Absolutely, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. We're talking with Paul Lombardi here on the show. Paul, uh, you know, one of the other great things, and I follow your content a lot, and I'm a new person, and, you know, you've got the draft coming up here in about another month or so, and the big story, you know, that came out this past week was the draft lottery. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because we've got one of the biggest, you know, hyped prospects, and I'll get to him in just a second here, in women coming up. But the big thing with this this draft lottery was the worst record this, this past season. And they ended up with the fifth pick and who gets the number one overall pick, the San Antonio Spurs. So here are the Spurs who had maybe the most consistent 20 year run that we've seen, not only in NBA history, but in almost all of sports. And now they end up with the number one overall pick to draft this, to draft Victor women. And we all know how they've done with international talent with Tony Parker, and manage nobly as of late. But, I mean, what does this do for the Spurs if we assume they're going to draft Wem number one overall?
0: It, it really is crazy that, you know, they ended up with the first overall pick. I had a feeling it was going to happen because it's just the Spurs' luck, and, like, it was almost like a perfect storyline. You know, you have Greg Popovich towards the end of his career, and you have this incredible French guy who – um, everyone thinks the next big thing. And of course, you know, he goes towards his team. So I think I mean, I think it was literally best case scenario for Victor. And I think it was obviously, obviously best case scenario um, for the NBA, too, because he's he's playing for a popular franchise. Um, You know, he's not going to play four or five years of his rookie deal for like the Orlando magic or the Detroit Pistons where they're not going to compete or anything like that. Um, not saying the Spurs are really ready to compete right now, even if you just add Wembenyama to that, to that bunch, but you know, he's, he's an extreme difference maker and he's, he's got the potential obviously to be the biggest, um, to be the biggest NBA talent since LeBron James. Uh, was coming out of high school. That's what every, that's what everybody expects. I think it's a lot of pressure to put on, to put on the kid. But he he does deserve that that praise. Um, with everything that he does, he's he's a stud. Um, you know, he just literally does everything. Seven four. He can handle the ball. He can shoot. Um, incredible, uh, rim protector. You know, great defender. Quick hands. He's like he's literally like the perfect player. Um, and but as for the Spurs, you know, I think it's still going to take some time. I, I don't see them as like a, a adding Web and Yam as becoming a playoff team this year, especially in the West. Um they might get close to, you know, maybe that 10 seed to uh to possibly be a play in, but I, I still think that they're a few a few pieces away. But you know, if they have a couple bad seasons, get a couple more lottery picks, they might have a another perennial winner very soon.
2: By the way, um So here's an interesting little fun fact for you guys. You know who the last uh, number one pick that the uh, San Antonio Spurs had was? Yep. That would be none other than uh, Tim Duncan, who I believe is in both of our top tens on our Pyramid Paul, if I remember correctly. Absolutely. Um, I don't remember where exactly he was on yours, but on mine, I think he's either five or six. I can't exactly remember. But in any event, The last time the Spurs had the number one pick, they also went 22 consecutive years without missing the playoffs. Don't know if that's exactly going to happen this time around, but with that having been said, uh, Coach Pop has seemed to have a knack for doing well with coaching big men, so I can definitely see him thriving in that environment for the San Antonio Spurs. And look, I don't know how long he's going to have left coaching San Antonio, but I think that should definitely leave an impact for that young kid. And I think it's definitely, and yeah, I think like you said, it's definitely better having him with the Spurs and say so many other organizations that have developed talent, but then somehow found a way to get rid of them. And funny you should say the Orlando magic. because I'm pretty sure that they're the Kings of developing talent and then getting rid of them after like four or five years.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Well, I'll tell you some of the, the great content and stuff that you could check out with Paul Uh, on the three and D which is now going to be on the empty the bench podcast network premiering uh, next Monday, 5.00 PM Eastern. So Paul, what, um, what do folks have to look forward to for you starting over here next week?
0: Well, first off, I want to thank you guys for um, bringing me on to the empty, the bench network was trying to revive the three and D and now we're back. Um, Got a lot planned. We got plenty of, of college basketball content. We're going to have plenty of NBA content. Um, especially with the NBA draft coming up, the NBA finals coming up, going to try to um, get some good interviews and get some good insights on, on all that stuff. I'm, you know, a diehard NBA fan, diehard college basketball fan, diehard NBA draft fan too. So, you know, if you're, if you're looking for any, any content in the basketball world, it's going to be the, it's going to be the place to come to is the three and D for without a doubt. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's, you know, Never an off-season for basketball either. There's always, we always got the transfer portal. We got plenty of stuff going on. And then, you know, a few months, a few months away, we'll be back in the beginning of the season. So I'm looking forward to that. We're going to definitely have a lot of good things coming up and, you know, definitely uh, provide a lot of content here for uh, ETB.
1: Awesome, uh, Paul, I'm, I you know I've watched your show before, and and it's one of my favorites. I have to say that, and I'm really looking forward to it. You will be preceding us. You'll be on Mondays. We'll be on on Tuesdays. Um, and like you said, you know, basketball. There really is no off season because once yeah. you even get through the draft and you have the summer league, and then before you know, you got preseason, and you may have a couple of weeks in the summer to just relax. But then you also got college hoops too, and there's so much. I'll tell you what, like in college basketball next season, you know, the big topic is going to be St. John's uh, with uh, Rick Petino going over there. So you're going to yeah, you're going to have a lot of stuff going on for sure. And we're definitely looking forward to it again. Congratulations. Uh, welcome. We'll check out your show next Monday and we'll definitely have you back again um, down the road. Paul, congratulations again. And uh, we'll look forward to catch you next week.
0: Thank you guys. Can't wait.
1: Awesome. Take care, Paul. Paul Lombardi, host of the three and D, which will premiere here on the empty the bench podcast network next Monday at 5. PM Eastern. And you know, Hank, you know this. I mean, it's one of the best shows. I'm really looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, NBA's, there's a lot of stuff going on, and it's weird to think that we might actually have to wait a whole week for the finals to start, almost like it's be- it's a rendition of the Super Bowl uh, in that regard.
2: Oh, how do you think I feel if, um, say, both conference finals in the NHL come to that same point?
1: Well, speaking of that, uh, Hank, well, let's let's transition to that right now and make a nice little transition here. And, uh, you know, these conference finals, you know, the, the Panthers and the Hurricanes, the Golden Knights and the Stars – uh, as of this, we both uh, went through two game, the kind of historic start to the conference finals. Hank, when you look at it, because this is the first time in any in Stanley Cup playoffs history that you've had four games, uh, the first four games of a round before the Stanley Cup final all require overtime. You know, you had the Panthers and Hurricanes requ- requiring four overtimes and was like seventeen sec- seconds away from a fifth in Game One, and then the Panthers won that. They won uh, Game Two to go up two games than an OT the golden Knights and stars almost the first two games were almost mirrored images of each other where, you know, the, the night, the, the tied it up late and got it to overtime and won the games in OT really, really quick. So um, just absolutely fascinating. But just starting with this Panthers hurricane series, you know, again, something we've documented before on the show, the Panthers really, they're just the lower seed number only. I mean, this was a team that remember won the president's trophy just last season you know they've got the veteran players they've got two of the three stall brothers ironically all three of them playing in this series but i'm really surprised what i'm seeing for florida so far are you
2: no and listen i like i've said i really think that the panthers have been a team that if you really saw after game 5 when brad marsh isn't it crazy just think If Brad Marchand had scored that breakaway goal, we wouldn't even be having this conversation about the the Florida Panthers. But since then, the Panthers essentially took advantage of the Bruins' missed opportunity. And ever since winning Game 5, they have only gotten stronger and stronger ever since then. And when you look at them, they are an extremely deep team featuring guys such as alexander barkov sam bennett and aaron ekblad to name a few and then you also have a few former Ranger, former rangers in the the stall brothers and uh obviously matt kachuk has been a big hero for the florida panthers Remember, this was the guy that they acquired during the offseason to try to beef up that team and take them to the next level and it's funny, it didn't look like that deal was going to work at first. I mean, it, it helped them to a certain degree, but losing Jonathan Huberto seemed to hurt them to a certain degree. And then there were also people questioning the move of getting rid of Andrew Brunette, despite the fact that he was the interim coach and he led them to the President's Trophy. But Paul Maurice, I think, has done a pretty solid job with this squad. And remember, this was the guy who ironically won the only cup for the Carolina hurricanes in 2006. And yeah, they've had some clutch goals in the first two games. You had that quadruple overtime game that ended with Matt Kutruck and Hey, he did it yet again. In the second game, he scored another overtime goal. And I think another player that we need to talk about for the Florida Panthers is, Sergei Bobrovsky and remember this is a guy that the Panthers invested a lot of money in when he became a free agent and it's funny I told you he was responsible for another crazy upset when he was with the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets and that was when they had that um that sweep of the Tampa Lightning but even for a guy who's getting paid a lot he's been somebody that has shown up and come up big in the playoffs 37 sa- uh, he has had 100 saves in the last two games and mm-hmm. given up only three goals that's how big he has been for the Florida Panthers thus far in the Stanley Cup playoffs and I think while I did mention Matthew Kachuk being a possible Conn Smythe candidate should the Panthers finish the job and go all the way I think you definitely have to make a case for Sergei Bobrovsky should they finish the job too. And again, this literally, I don't think I'm really making it a stretch when I say that this is probably the best team that the Panthers had in their franchise history. And yes, I, even better than the 96 team that had their own Cinderella run to the cup finals, the one that got swept by the Colorado avalanche. But yeah, they're a great story. And look, I would not be the least bit surprised if they end up finishing the job and winning the cup finals. And look, you know, there are two teams actually that the Panthers kind of remind me of. The first one would be the 2018 capitals in the sense that you thought that their window had shut down on them, but now it looks like this team might be just as good, if not maybe even better. And then I would also compare them to the 2012 Los Angeles Kings. If you remember that team was an eight seed, but then, they pretty much ran roughshod over the entire Western Conference. And hmm. if I remember correctly, the LA Kings in, in the 2012 playoffs only lost one road game, too. So I'm seeing a lot of similarities with these two squads here. And Johnny, if you, you may recall, the Florida Panthers, let's go over the other series they've won three games on the road at Boston Dart at TD Garden in, mm-hmm. in their comeback. They did not lose a single road game against the Maple Leafs. Yeah. And they've already won the first few games on the road. When teams are dominant on the road, that's pretty dangerous right there. And look, I'm not saying Carolina has no chance to come back because look, they're, they have a pretty strong team. They got back Tevo Teravainen. However, when it comes down to it, even though I like a lot of their forwards, such as Sebastian Ajo and, um, uh, Martin Nikas, Stefan Nessen. The problem is their goal. When it comes down to the goalies, I'm taking Bob over um, over Anderson in a heartbeat.
1: Yeah, and you saw them in game two go to Ranta, which I, I don't think was really much of a surprise, considering. Speaking the home, of former, time, they pretty much <laughs> two games. Yeah, another one, right? Uh, remember we were talking about that before, but. You were talking about the road teams, and the Panthers have been, have been continuing a trend that we've seen a lot here in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So you know we've had 22 games in over to, uh, go to overtime in these playoffs, and the road team has won 15 of those. And let me, let me reinforce what I said. They
2: have not lost a road game since game one against Boston.
1: Yeah, and we had documented after the first round how the road teams were so successful in the opening round, so it's really – it's been – this entire postseason, it's like the Road Warriors. It's like home, home ice doesn't mean anything. Now, on the other side, though, on the West, it is a different story because the Golden Knights have won both of their overtime games at home against the against the Dallas Stars. And I guess, you know, it's a little bit of a different feeling because, you know, the, the the old saying is you don't panic until you lose a game at home, whether it's home ice, home court, whatnot. So Dallas now goes back home down two games to none versus the hurt of their home games. And now have to go out down to Florida, but uh, in this Western Conference, you know the Golden Knights are a fascinating team because there's there isn't that one player that like lights up the scoreboard or there's or the stat sheet because what was it like the the, the the player that had the most points I think had like sixty or seventy on them this year, so you're a prominent um, point getter, but you have it's all spread out throughout. Uh, the goaltending's been really really good. It's come up clutch. The the scoring's been very very clutch there in Vegas. And all of a sudden, now they've got a pretty good uh, advantage going to Dallas for the rest of this, uh, for at least games three and four.
2: Yeah, to answer your question, Jack Eichel has been the leading point getter for the Vegas Golden Knights. And he's just a shade over Chandler Stevenson. Eichel had 66, Stevenson had 65. And look, while his numbers may not look like the superstar numbers that like people may have expected. Let's remember, he's now on a team that is much deeper than a lot of the horrible teams that he was playing with in Buffalo. And now you have – he's joined by Stevenson, Marcheseau, Riley Smith, and then you have another veteran like Alex Petrangelo, who's won a cup with the St. Louis Blues and William Carlson, Mark Stone. This is a really deep squad that, quite frankly – I'm really shocked they haven't got as mu- gotten as much recognition during the regular season. After all, they were first in the Pacific Division. They they had 111 points, and right now, like they're in great shape, winning the first few games at home. Again, both of those games are kind of in mirror images. The only difference is we haven't had a quadruple overtime slog fest like mm. the other series, but in this case, you know. You had a late comeback by the Dallas Stars in Game One with Jamie Benn scoring with right around two minutes left to go, and then former Ranger Brett Howden, who, fun fact, Brett Howden has scored more goals already during this playoffs than a combination of Artemi Panarin and Mika Zibanejad. And why am I even triggering myself with that?
1: Oh, hang, hang,
2: <laughs> Johnny. Have I told you before that I may or may not be a borderline masochist? <laughs> oh, well. This but no, it, it all, in all seriousness, though, good comeback win for the Vegas Golden Knights. And do you want to know another stat about the Knights that has really been amazing? Look at how many goaltenders they've gone through over the course of the season. You mm. know, they add Robin Laner, but then... Laner ended up getting hurt, and they have had to go with guys such as Laurent Bossois, Yuri Patera, Jonathan Quick they acquired at the deadline, but he, ne- he didn't really get much action during the playoffs. And now they have Aiden Hill, and Aiden Hill has been an absolute wall lately. So, again, the fact that they've gone through all these goalies and are where they are right now, and possibly on the verge of winning their first ever Stanley Cup, that speaks volumes as to how good they are. Now, with that having been said, I wouldn't necessarily count out the Dallas Stars. And, Johnny, I'm going to give you a little bit of a hot take here. I think the Dallas I said I had the Dallas Stars winning the series in seven. Did I not?
1: I believe so because I I think I took Vegas, so –
2: I think the Stars have a better shot at coming back from their 2-0 deficit than floor, than um, the Carolina Hurricanes. And the reason that I say that is because, well, not only do the Stars have a good amount of depth in Jamie Benn, Evgeny Dodonov, um, Miro Hishkinen, Rupe Hintz, and uh, Joe Pavelski, to name a few, as well as Jason Robertson, who's been one of their best players all season and not to mention tyler sagan another veteran that's been around the block but with that having said unlike uh carolina they have they have not lost a home game in this series however i'm also not as confident in in them because i've seen peter DeBoer teams in make deep runs in years past and while he usually does well and he'll turn teams around in that first year, he's another coach that reminds me of Gerard Gowan in the sense that he, his tactics get what he gets outcoached easily when it comes to the big games. And between him and Bruce Cassidy, who do you think I'm going to trust in the best of seven series? Like the Vegas golden Knights are an obviously well coached team right there. Mm-hmm. Like again, how can you not be a well-coached team if you had to go through five different goalies?
1: You don't see that, if ever, see all uh, that many goaltending uh, switches for whatever reason, and be that and be the success. You even
2: remember re- seeing Robin Lanner play a game for the Vegas
1: Golden Knights. I, I mean, that, passing maybe really quick. Yeah, I see. It's so funny because I totally agree with you about if. Because I was going to actually ask you this: which one of these two series do you think that the which team was down two games to none has a better chance to come back and make it a, a series? And I agree with you; I think it is Dallas. I kind of think that first game in the in the East is was so deflating to Carolina, and we saw that because I mean they had to make goaltending change, and Florida kept Bobrovsky, and Carolina went to to rant, to Ranta. And Mm -hmm. I think that that goes to show you that, you know, and Carolina is trying to make some adjustments and stuff, but Florida's the Panthers are just like on such a roll right now. I just don't, I just don't see it happening now. I mean, anything's possible. We've seen that before, but I agree with you. I think, I think right now, the way we're looking at it, I think Carolina, I think the Panthers are going to come out of the West. I mean, come out of the East, the West, I think it's still wide open though. I I still want to put it past the stars to come back and make this a series. Remember they were only two minutes away from tying that, that series, in game two, if it wasn't for a late Golden Knights goal, which helped them tie it up late in the third in game two, and then the, the overtime goal real quick. I mean, it's a tie, it's an entirely different series. 1-1 going back to Dallas for game three. Do so you want
2: to know a weird fact about the Dallas Stars, by the way? What's that? Many of their wins have been in games where they didn't score first. And they scored first both games yeah. in this series, and they lost.
1: That's fascinating. Yeah, that you some it you know, sometimes scoring first doesn't really mean anything though. Right? It really is it it
2: does to a certain degree, but it doesn't. To I'm degree. I'm gonna agree to disagree.
1: Yeah, it, it um to a certain extent, yeah, absolutely. But so
2: the golden knights are a team, like let me put it this way it it really depends on the team. The golden knights are not a team you count down count out when they're down one nothing. But If you're talking about, like, say, I hate to take a shot on my own team again, but yes, I'm still salty. No, and yes, thank you for asking. But if you watch game seven, like, I was there. I saw it with my own two eyes. Anybody who was watching that game, whether it be on TV or in the building, knew the Rangers weren't coming back. It really depends on how a team looks. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. And these playoffs have been just so crazy like it's all you, you've had 22 overtime games uh so many crazy things and fun fact about the golden knights you know they were six and nine going into the post and going into this uh this postseason in overtime in the playoffs and now they've won th- their three and oh in this postseason in, the, in, the, in overtime it's just absolutely wild and these playoffs are only going to continue to get better and better as we take one step closer to the stanley cup finals well, Hank, uh, we've got to switch gears here onto a serious note here. Uh, some sad news came down in the mm-hmm. NFL land this past week as uh, Hall of Famer Jim Brown passed away at the age of 87. And, and really, when you look at Jim Brown, I mean, you know, he's a Hall of Famer with the Cleveland Browns. He's a movie star. He was a civil rights icon. Lived in a, a, an extraordinary life. And I know you have plenty of things to say about this, so uh, go for it. So
2: a blog about Jim Brown will be posted after this episode. I've already been in the process, but I do have to warn you guys, if you are going to read this, it may be as long as say a Harry Potter novel by JK Rowling. (laughs) But with that, having been said, there's, there's every reason for me to say this because I, Johnny, I don't know if I've told you this, but I have a Mount Rushmore with regards to NFL greats. And On this Mount Rushmore, you have Lawrence Taylor, um, Tom Brady, Jerry Rice, and the fourth member of that Mount Rushmore is Jim Brown. Now, where he ranks among the other three names that I mentioned is a debate for another day. And quite frankly, it's not a debate I really want to have at the current moment, not so much because he died, but also because they all played different positions. However, if we're going to talk about NFL running backs, in my opinion, there really is not as much of a debate as people think. And make no mistake, Walter Payton was fantastic. So was Barry Sanders. And Emmitt Smith was pretty good too. But look, Jim Brown, he tops all those guys. And let me explain why. Yes, he only played nine seasons in the NFL, and yes, he retired before age 30, but let let me give you the numbers, and I don't think the numbers even fully describe how amazing he was. Do you want to know his numbers for what his quote-unquote worst season was? 942 rushing yards, he still led the league. Mm. And this was his rookie season, and he almost led the Cleveland Browns to an NFL championship. And he won NFL MVP in the in the process too, and not to mention, this is the same Jim Brown who at Syracuse put up eye popping numbers. And did you know that he also he averaged like thirteen points on their basketball season? He didn't even play their senior year, but there was one game where he dropped thirty three points and he didn't even start. And also, he's considered the greatest lacrosse player of all time too. I don't know if everybody knew that, but. He was a midfielder and in 10 games during an undefeated season, his senior year, he scored 43 goals. They, act, they even had to change a rule because of the way he moved his stick. That's how good he was. And obviously when we talk about his senior season in Syracuse, there have been a lot of Heisman trophy snubs over the years. There's no question in my mind, Jim Brown is easily the greatest player in college football history to not win a Heisman. I mean, the closest, the play, he finished in fifth place in that voting. That was because of two reasons. Number one, Pell Horning was the winner. And no offense, because I know he's a member of your Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the reason he won that award was because they, their games were televised a lot. But also, let's not forget, Jim Brown was black. The other four players that were voted ahead of him were all white. And another interesting fact was the two players that that were voted ahead of him in the Heisman Trophy poll in '56. They didn't even come within 100 points, 100 rushing yards of Jim Brown, and yet he finished fifth, and everyone on that poll agrees that Jim Brown was snubbed. He was, that just goes to show you how bad the times were when Jim Brown was playing, but I would say his greatest accomplishment for Syracuse was encouraging Ernie Davis to go play there, and he was the guy who ended up becoming the first black player to win the Heisman, which as I pretty much established is what is an award that Jim Brown should have won for sure. But let me get back to his NFL career. Hmm. The only other year in which he didn't rush for a thousand yards, he still had 996 and 13 touchdowns. An average season with Jim Brown would have been around 1,200 rushing yards and like 12 touchdowns. Imagine if fantasy football had existed back in the 50s and 60s and you had Jim Brown on your team. You would have been dominating every single year because that's how good he was. But beyond just the numbers, this is a guy who was big, strong, and fast and almost impossible to tackle. And it's evidenced by the fact that he averaged 122 yards per game and 5.2 yards per carry. Those are records numbers that you will never, ever, ever see again. Not even Walter Payton did, did what Jim Brown did. And you may be asking, why, why did he retire so young? Well, a big reason for that was because, like I said, he was already at the top of his game. He was working on filming the Dirty Dozen. Art Modell wanted him to go to training camp for the C- Cleveland Browns. But Jim Brown said no. And Modell essentially threatened him by trying to fine him for every day he mispracticed, saying it was unfair to the team. No, Art Modell, what was unfair is you trying to, like, ruin um screw your team by punishing arguably the greatest player, not arguably the greatest player your franchise ever had. And obviously this is a historic tangent for another day, but there's a reason why there's another reason why Art Modell is pretty much one of the most hated figures in the city of Cleveland. And that is pretty much one of them, him pretty much kind of forcing Jim Brown to quit. And believe it or not, he never actually regretted that decision. And a big reason why is because he knew that he could still make a lot more money acting. Whereas if he'd kept on playing football, he probably could have risked a serious injury. So it definitely makes a lot of sense what he did. And he started in a good amount of moves I make a mistake. He wasn't necessarily—he wasn't quite as talented with regards to acting as he was on, on the gridiron, but he was still like, there were a lot of people, he still had a good following with regards to his Hollywood career. And I think what's also needs to be talked about is he was one of the first real athletes that spoke out against segregation, really, had a voice during like the civil rights movement. I would say him and Bill Russell are probably the top two in that department. And he actually was the leader in a gathering at the Cleveland summit. And this was a group of athletes that were trying to rally around Muhammad Ali when he got his, um, when he had his boxing title stripped because of um, Vietnam. So when you look at it, Jim Brown has had a fascinating impact on in like, both the world of sports and like popular culture. He, he was larger than life and one of a kind. However, I do need to bring this up there because there is a bit of an elephant in the room regarding Jim Brown. He has also been arrested several times for domestic violence incidents. And he even was accused of rape in 1985. So I don't want to make it out there that Jim Brown was some sort of saint in any in what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Uh uh-huh. But with that being said, he was pretty is pretty much an example of what a legendary, a flawed legend looks like, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I, I think you summed that up perfectly. I mean, I, I don't know what else I could really add. I mean, you were talking about Mount Rushmore. I would tell you right now, if I had put a Mount Rushmore of greatest all-around athletes, I think he'd be right up there. Yeah, I mean, you don't get too many
2: people who are considered the greatest in two different sports.
1: It well think about in today's in today's world right now, in all the sports, do we have any multi sport players? Multi sport athletes. I no. mean the only guy, ironically enough, the only one that we could have possibly seen like that could have been Kyler Murray. Because, I would probably say Dion Sanders. Well, I, I'm, I'm talking about no, I'm talking about current. I'm not talking about in the oh, past. Oh, current. I mean, sorry, yeah, sorry. I'm talking about like current. as of right now. I mean, I'm I'm thinking. I was thinking Dion. I was thinking maybe like Bo Jackson. Back then, that would be back then. But like right now, there really isn't anybody that's a multi-sport athlete. So, um, I, I would say right now you would have to put him in, as the greatest all-around athlete. But. Yeah, mm-hmm. like like you said though, I mean the just the the Hall of Fame resume. I mean the football stuff itself. You know, nine time Pro Bowler, eight time All Pro first team, uh, three time MVP, fifty seven Rookie of the Year, uh, led the league in rushing yards eight times. I mean rushing touchdowns five. I mean he's he all- a Pro Bowler every
2: single year. What's that? He was a Pro Bowler every year too.
1: Every year, yep. You said nine year career, nine time Pro Bowler. You know he's nineteen sixties NFL all decade. Uh, top 100 all-time team in the NFL. I mean, we could spend you know hours upon hours just going through, um, you know, his resume and his career. And yeah, you you may you you barely will see him be like this. First of all, in the NFL today, you barely you barely see a a, uh, a running back n- last nine years, let alone put up those kind of numbers in for that long. So. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, all of his, all the fields stuff and, you know, the, the civil rights, uh, movement and stuff. I mean, there really is not much more I need to add to that, but yeah, I mean, considering that we don't have multi-sport athletes, uh, today, any really anymore. I mean, like you said, maybe Deion Sanders and Bo Jackson were the last ones of this. It's, uh, it's it was an incredible career, and yeah, like you said, also you know the the domestic violence stuff definitely has to be talked about too with him. But as an athlete, I mean, there really weren't many better than him, for sure. And mm-hmm. you know, he lived a full life. I mean, and then a football player making it to 87 years old. I mean, it's when we see when we hear about all the stories about CTE and you know all these concussions and stuff into today's world. Now that's with quarterbacks and stuff, but you know, running backs. Um, we'll, have, we'll, we'll have to see, you know, so, um, yeah, you know, it was, it was an incredible career. That's for sure. You know, he lived the full life. So that's really all you could really ask for. And, um, you know, obviously we will remember Jim Brown had a, had a, had a tremendous career, um, there in the NFL and really a multi, uh, in all the sports that he played. Uh, you don't see many like that even today's, today's. Uh, world we do not see that so um you know obviously uh, a great career there for jim Brown well you know on a much lighter note a uh, couple of uh football stories that came out just actually right before we started to record here today uh we mm-hmm. do know now that Super Bowl 60 will be at Levi Stadium home of the San francisco 49ers so they got it they had Super Bowl 50 and now they will have super Bowl 60. Uh, as well so that that is if that is official that that is the case so the the super bowl 60 will be in san francisco um so that that is for sure now a couple of of rule things to discuss and i know i didn't have this in the rundown but this also this but this did come out also one other thing too it looks like green bay is going to be is going to host the 2025 nfl draft so we mm-hmm. have that to look forward to in a couple of years there at Lambeau Field. I got to be honest with you, you know, when it comes to the NFL draft and stuff, I like the different locations. I really wish I miss it at Radio City though. I got to be honest with you. I loved mm-hmm. it at Radio City in Manhattan. Um, it had I, such a pageantry
2: feel to it back back in those days too. Yeah, I agree.
1: So I've told you the story before. When I lived on Long Island, I would, mm-hmm. always, I would travel into the city and I would hang outside of Radio City and I would watch – Sometimes the cool part was actually just seeing all the limos and stuff um, and all the the athletes and the fans just hanging out outside of the build, waiting to go in. Because the only other time you would really do that would be, I think the MTV music video awards are there, but also the Tonys are right outside of there. So we would always go out and and hang out and, and see if we could see anybody. And sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, but it's, it's, it's it's also just the feel. You know, when we watch the on TV, like when we've had our two live stream the two live streams that I've done here with ETB for the NFL draft. I mean you watch it on the TV and you see the hundred and fifty thousand people or whatever how many it is that's there. I mean it's it's a very cool thing. So but it, it will be in Green Bay it looks like in twenty twenty five. Now couple of, of of things here as well. So there were two rule uh two things that the NFL owners uh approved of Number one, mm-hmm. they did approve a rule on Monday that would allow teams to designate an emergency quarterback on game days, which is a rule they revived after the 49ers ran out of quarterbacks during the loss in the NFC Championship game last season mm-hmm. uh, to the Eagles. So this rule applies only to quarterbacks who are on a team's 53-man roster. Practice squad players are not eligible to be emergency quarterbacks, not, not even if they are elevated for that week's game. Um, okay, I mean, that, that's fine probably understandable especially when we've seen you know the all the quarterback the difference in quarterbacks that we've had here the last several years i mean you know when we did our football picks last year there's some of those names that i was reading out <laughs> so it was a tough read there but so we've got that and then also this one that dropped actually right before our recording so nfl owners are okaying the flexing of thursday night games so this So the NFL will have the capacity to flex a limited number of late season Thursday night football games on the Amazon Prime streaming platform. This was according to a resolution approved by NFL owners Monday and a close vote on the the first day of their spring meeting. So it needed 24 owners to pass, and it did just that, 24 to 8. Now, a couple of interesting nuggets. When I read this article before we started here today, this rule will be in effect on a trial basis for the 2023 season only. If no Thursday night game carry over to 2024, the resolution would allow the league to flip a Sunday afternoon game into Thursday night and move the originally scheduled game to Sunday afternoon during weeks 13 through 17. The NFL must file a notice no later than 28 days before the game, which is an increase nearly two from the earlier proposal No team will be required to flex to a Thursday night game more than one time, and the maximum number of Thursday night games will remain two per team. So there's that. Uh, There was one other nugget here I want to see here because, well, we know the teams that voted against the resolution. So we know the Giants because John Mara has been outspoken about this. Uh, the Jets, the Packers, the Bears, the Raiders, the Lions, the Bengals, and the Steelers were the other ones. You know, I'm not a fan of this because it is very difficult from the fans' perspective to flex a Sunday into Thursday game. And there's a reason why the Giants and the Jets were two of the teams that did not want to do this because part of it is travel. Stadium. Right? I mean, first of all, Thursday night games at 8 o'clock, if you go from New York to New Jersey, you have to leave at what, like four just so you can get there at a decent time and be safe. I mean, you're basically committing an entire evening to this. And also it's not that easy if, you know, you maybe can't get out of work on a Friday or, or so. And from the player's side too, you know, it's an entirely different thing. Now the 28 day advance notice is better than the two weeks that was originally being discussed when this first was being, when this first happened, but, it barely passed, but it passed. But, yeah, you know, I'm not a big fan about the flexing about Sunday to Thursday. I think that's a, that's a bit of a reach. Um,
2: I have a little bit of a hot take that I kind of discussed with you guys before the show. Mm-hmm. Can we just abolish the idea of Thursday Night Football, like, What's wrong with just having a lot of the games on Sunday and then the one on Monday? I don't mean to sound like an old school fan. I mean, look, I love NFL football as much as the next guy. But, like, first I'm hearing, like, let's make Black Friday games a tradition. Now we're just going to, like, let um, not only, like, keep the Thursday night, which, again, if it were just, like, keeping Thursday night, that's one thing. But now you're trying to have flex. It's like, come on, stop with all these inconveniences, Roger. Stop trying to think about your wallet and think more about player safety. Okay? Thank you.
1: Well, so that's true. Sorry, I wasn't
2: expecting to give you a little Hank rant alert, but there you go. I
1: I think, though, you're – but that's that's well-spoken and well-taken because, you know what, you cannot be preaching safety and say your safety first and then doing stuff that jeopardizes the safety. But you also said it too, Hank. Put that graphic there because it is all about one thing. Money. Money does have something to do with it. That's exactly right. It is all about the money. I think we're going to start setting that as a record for doing that. But, you know, you're starting to see this though now. It's it's also about wanting more because we have Thursday night football. We got Black Friday, which may become a yearly tradition, especially with the Jets. I mean, the Jets have already been on the record of saying they may want to play every year on that Black Friday game. So we've got Thursday night football. We've got Friday. We've got you know, when the college football season ends and you come down the stretch of the regular season, you have some Saturday games. You've got the regular Sunday. This year, you're going to have a couple of Monday games. There's actually going to be weeks where there's going to be two Monday night football games. That used to only be once a year. Now it's going to be multiple times in this upcoming season. But it's all about wanting more because really what the NFL also is too, Hank, it's like, it's like your five-day work week. You know, Thursday to Monday, you know, first you have a game on Thursday, then you've got your – Football Friday, then you got your Saturday to get ready for Sunday. You get the full slate Sunday, and you got Monday, and then Tuesday, Wednesday is your weekend. And, but really, when you do that, you have Tuesday as your recap day, and Wednesday is your transitional day. So really, it's just it's about all. Also, the, you have these games that could stick out too. Now, do I like it? I I don't because I think you're right. I think the safety is a big deal here too.
2: In you know. Of- I'm, this is going to sound silly, but I'm kind of like trying to cook up up in my mind a little parody of a certain Dolly Parton song. Working nine to five, cause it's all about the money. Working (laughs) nine to five. Taking hits taking money. I don't know. It's so I think,
1: late. But I just I think, said. <laughs> I think that's got TikTok written all over right there. Oh boy.
2: Like, <laughs> this is I don't know. This is a horrible ill-advised parody on my part, and <laughs> I'm probably gonna be getting embarrassed all across the internet for it, but it is true. You're turning NFL into a nine to five. I mean, can you imagine entering a ninety-five work nine to five work environment where you know next thing you know, you can get your ACL snapped in half and your brain turns into mashed potatoes I sure can and I'm again I'm sorry if I got a little graphic for you guys but well that's
1: I mean let's be fair though the NFL has become a 365 a year operation though I mean it's very rare that we don't spend an episode talking about a football topic when we we used to always have a couple of weeks like that we would you know you could take a break from it but That hasn't been the case this year. I mean, the Super Bowl was almost four months ago, and we have been between the schedule release, between the draft, between free agency, with the rule changes. I mean, Hank, it's crazy to say this, and I'm trying not. I'm being serious. I'm not really rushing the time when I'm saying this. We're just a little over two months away from preseason football. You know, the Jets and the Browns open up that Hall of Fame game in about little less than two, two, two and a half months away. It's it's wild yeah, though, right? It, I mean, doesn't it, it feel like we just had Super Bowl 57 just the other day and now we're just a little over two months away from preseason football? Johnny,
2: do you know what football season does? It flies right by weeks one through, boom, I'm sorry. I still have to get used to the fact that it's 18 because you added that extra game. Again, but um, we added that extra game in the season, but player safety matters though, right? Um, And now once it's over, you have that big party known as the Super Bowl. where let's hope you made all your, the right choices during said party. Mm -hmm. You're going through the off season and all of a sudden it just sneaks right up on you. Yeah. That's the NFL. It's everyone make a mistake. I, I love it. I'll watch NFL anytime, and, you know, I'll watch the G-men religiously. But, oh, God. Ro- Roger knows best, though. Am I right?
1: That's absolutely right. He sure does. <laughs> the best commissioner in sports. i still say that. But, you know, it, and the crazy thing about the – you know, you're talking about the schedule, too. I just forgot a couple other things, too. So this year you've got three games on Christmas Day, which is a Monday. Very, very unusual. Remember now, in the last couple of years – because of the expanded schedule, you also have a wild card game on a Monday. So we do. I mean, it's that's what it's that's what it's like though now. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be more that happens. Now I know we had COVID a few years ago. We did have a Tuesday and a third and a Wednesday game, but that was because of COVID, so it's a little bit different. But
2: actually, I'll tell you a fun fact. That was the first time you ever legitimately did have a Sunday through Sun through Saturday week of
1: football. You know, I remember that so well. That was some of the the craziest times of Tuesday. That may weekend. have been the
2: first time that like you truly could have thought of football as the Dolly Parton operation.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm always used to watching, you know, Mac football on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. That was always pretty cool in during the college season. That would be cool to watch, but yeah, you know, it's just going to be that that, that, that kind of time. And before you know it, folks, it'll be here, but I don't want to rush the summer away because I know there are people that are yelling at their screen right now that are probably teachers and students that are probably going to yell at me. So I promise you, I will let you all, yes, I will let you all enjoy your summer. I, I understand that. But um, that's what we got going on. Well, all right, we're going to try and get through these last couple of topics here really quick. So we'll do a little bit of like a rapid one here. Like Maybe I'm going to steal a phrase from our friends over there at Empty the Bench and do a little bit of a rapid rundown with some of these topics. But we had the pre mistakes this past week too. And the reason why I want to bring this up is because uh, – Mage, the winner of the Kentucky Derby, did not win it, finished third. Much different pace than it was last year. But a big deal about this, National Treasure did win the 148th Preakness for trainer Bob Baffert, who was back um, after his suspension. This was the eighth Preakness win for Baffert, which is the most ever by a trainer. And, And, of course, you know, Baffert's been in the news a lot here these last couple of years because of the suspensions that he's been handed down from Churchill Downs, from the Preakness, from the New York Racing Association but he was back there on in and, and uh, at Pimlico this past weekend now this was kind of a, an emotional day for Baffert because the win for him in the in the preakness but prior to that earlier in the undercard he one of his horses, horses had to get euthanized because he got injured and threw uh the rider off um so it was very a mixed emotion kind of day there for Baffert, but uh, he's able to get his eighth win, of course, controversy because of the suspensions that he's had to deal with here these last two years or so. But you did have uh, Mage, the Kentucky Derby winner, finished third, so there will be no Triple Crown this year. So when we have the Belmont Stakes in three weeks, unfortunately, there will be no Triple Crown. Usually, that's the one day per year that my hometown, where I used to where I spent the first twenty five years of my life, gets put on the map. Uh, it mm. still will, but it just won't have as much meaning as in as it would if we did have a potential Triple Crown. And unfortunately, Hank, you know, this is a story that Nick and I were talking about two weeks ago. Um, Unfortunately, horse racing, which has been dealing with a lot here between, you know, death and uh, a lot of other storylines. Another horse died at Churchill Downs recently. So this is now the ninth fatality at the track since April 27th. Now, I didn't have you weren't uh, here two weeks ago when we were talking about the seven horses that had died around the Kentucky Derby. Um, they're going to have to investigate this because now this is really going to the extreme here. I still believe there's some sort of track condition that's happening there to have this happen like this for this long.
2: I'm sorry. You said it's a track condition. Uh, could doping also be a possibility? Because I remember in years past, that's been a thing with horses and doping and whatnot. And there've been a lot of scandals.
1: Well, that's part of the pro- – that's actually another thing that, that ho- the sport of horse racing is dealing with is all the doping stuff. Absolutely. You know, the, the the whatever it's doping or they putting stuff in the hay or whatever it is. Yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily the reason why for the fatalities that are happening. The only mm-hmm. reason why I'm, I'm bringing up the track condition was there was a situation that happened at Santa Anita out in California a few years back where you had a bunch of them. A bunch of horses dying on the track, and they actually did, if I remember correctly, shut the track down for a few weeks and got it fixed, and now you don't hear about that happening. Now, the counter to all this also is they are telling you that that deaths in horse racing are actually at its lowest point. But when you have this many happen for this long and around a major event like the Kentucky Derby is, I mean, it is a major event. It's one of the biggest days in the horse racing calendar. Uh, it's a it's a very big, big deal now, I truly think, and again, I'm just going off of prior experience with this i I do think that there's some sort of track condition happening there at Churchill Downs because to have that many happen around the derby and this continuing to be a problem leads me to believe that now you could also be right though too there could be you know drugs or you know doping involved in all this too. That's certainly a possibility. But, again, for a sport that's been dealing with doping and, unfortunately, you know, deaths, it's it's just not a good look, especially when, you know, this has now happened at two major events this year, at, you know, Churchill Downs with the Derby and also the situation that happened with uh, Baffert at the Preakness. It's not good.
2: Yeah, I have a feeling this is a story that's pro- – Whether it be like the track stuff, or whether it be my own suspicion that I just told you about, I have a feeling this story is probably going to grow legs within the next few months.
1: Yeah, there's. there's, Let's be honest. This will be. This will not be the last time you hear about something like this. There will be. There will be more to it. But I mean, I would truly think if this continues to happen at Churchill Downs, that they need to shut it down uh, indefinitely and figure out what's going on there. That's, that's what I would do. I mean, nine, nine in a month is one in a month is too much. Nine in a month is just, you know, you can't even put into words how awful it is because they are equine athletes and it's, it's just, it's not a good look. It it really is not. Yeah,
2: no, that's pretty. That's that's pretty bad.
1: Well, we'll keep you updated here for sure if there's any new developments in this story. And finally, to close out the up the show here today, we got to talk about the PGA Championship that's happened this this past weekend in in Rochester, because two unbelievable things. For number one, Brooks Koepka, uh won his third PGA Championship in the last six years, which I think only Jack Nicholas uh, Jack, Jack Nicholas has done, but. The reason why this is a big deal, Hank, Brooks mm-hmm. Koepka is, uh, is on the Live Tour. So a Live Tour golf member won a major for the first time. Now, this feels to be a little bit different because if you if you saw it afterwards, you did have um, – I forget who it was. Um, there was one PJ Tour golfer that did go up. It was very, very friendly with Kepka and they were hugging it out. So maybe in some ways this might actually be a good thing they might be able to sort this out because I think at the end of the day, I don't know. I know the live golf tour has a ton of money, but I don't know if they're really going to be able to survive. And the interesting thing about this too would be if Kepka gets enough points to possibly be in the Ryder cup, which is, you know, the Ryder cup is the big thing, uh, the big USA thing at the end of the year. Would they take a live golf member on the Ryder cup? I mean,
2: that's a really good question. And I feel like that's gonna be a controversy that's really going to get them thinking, and who knows? I sometimes I'm of the belief that controversies can be a good thing, so to speak, in this situation. But yeah, I think definitely Brooks Kopka's or uh, uh what's his name? Uh Kepka. Did I get it yeah, right? The you
1: Brooks Kepka, yep.
2: I'm sorry. I it I sound it sound his last name sounds like uh, our offensive coordinator, but you you know who I'm talking
1: about. <laughs> <I>, Kafka. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. No, I think his his win definitely raises some eyebrows, and he's definitely he's one of the better golfers in the PGA Tour too. No, yes, he's got.
1: Now he, he's, now, but, got now he's in the, but now he's in, but now he he plays for Live Golf though. Didn't he win the Masters too this past year? No, he didn't win the Masters, but I mean, he's a he's won multiple majors though before. Like I said, this is the third time he's won the PGA Championship in six years. But mm-hmm. you know, because you've got live players that are eligible for the Ryder Cup, uh, um, and he's got a good number of points now from winning this. From winning this, if he continues on this trajectory, you you know, he's going to be eligible for the Ryder Cup, and that's what's going to cause a lot of craziness. Is would they actually take a player from Live Golf on that Ryder Cup? Yeah, it might be causing a lot of stuff that might be might be like this. Might be the worst nightmare that the PGA's had to deal with if if that is indeed the case because the whole controversy behind Live Golf. Um, But you know that's something to watch here too. And I don't know if you'd watch the the final round on Sunday, but Michael Block, who uh, really took the whole weekend by storm for what he did, able to get a hole in one on Sunday um, and what he had to do was he had to finish in the top 15 to, to be eligible to possibly play again in the PJ championship in the future and also be eligible for the following week. Well, he got it. Well, there was also some great, you know, videos on social media about, um, you know, getting phone calls and stuff about, you know, him being eligible going forward. And this might be good for golf too, because, you know, you can get more of these like kind of amateur like players uh, to keep going here, but really just a, a, Crazy, an amazing weekend for the, for uh, golf, and now what we've got here, Hank, is a very interesting development with Kepka winning, with you know a live golf player winning a PGA event. Now this is kind of where the PGA did not want to be, and now they're going to have to to see what happens here coming down the stretch.
2: What's that term we used? Uh, it's open up a can of worms.
1: Open up a can of worms. Sure has. Is that here a good phrase? Uh, yep. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause a lot of interesting things here later on in the year, especially if this does continue to happen. But we'll, we will find out. But that is going to put a wrap on episode 55 of the show, another great show. So, of course, folks, um, you know, make sure to follow us across all of our social media platforms on Facebook and Twitter at GameOnETB. We're on Instagram at GameOn underscore ETB, also ETB Network as well. You know, you can also check us out on YouTube.com slash ETB network, where if you like today's episode, give us hit that subscribe button. And, of course, have your notifications set so you never miss an episode of Game On, of Fruity Cereal, of Empty the Bench. And, of course, our new show coming up here, The 3&D. And, again, we want to thank Paul Lombardi for jumping aboard uh, today. If you missed that, go check it out either earlier in the episode or we'll also have another video about that on our YouTube channel as well and of course check us out at etbpodcast.com for great blogs from Hank, you know he's got a great one about the late great Jim Brown coming up, you know Jennifer Kate as well and also um, check us out on any of your uh, favorite podcast platforms Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, all that good stuff. So if you want the audio um, if you want the audio version of the show you can catch it out there. So again I want to thank Paul Lombardi for jumping aboard. Of course check him check him out on the 3 and D premiering next Monday, May 29th, at 5 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Hank, good to see you. Enjoy the rest of your week. You do the same, Johnny. Absolutely, folks. So for Hank and Dichter, I'm Johnny Montabano. Everybody, enjoy the rest of your week, and we will catch you again next week.